0: I love it when you read to me. Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz.
1: I am Janice Leibovitz. You are my People of the Book, and today we have a slightly different show I will be giving you a bit of intro for the first half of the show. And in the second half of the show, you will be hearing a pre-recorded interview with captain Ben Blixom Boyson. And if that name sounds familiar to you, it probably is. And that is because if you remember correctly, August, 2021, the country was gripped by devil's door fever. Devil's Door being a four-part true crime documentary series that was broadcast on Showmax. And for those who follow true crime, for those who are fans of true crime, and I know that there are many, this was something really unique to South Africa. A documentary that was put together in incredible depth, incredible detail. It was meticulously researched. There were Countless interviews that went into it, the background information was was, as I say, meticulously researched. And interviews were done with so many of the investigating officers on the case, including Ben Boyson. And many of the people who would have had background information. There was footage from the actual trial. Cecilia Stain, who was the mastermind behind it, was eleven murders. Between the years 2012, 2012, and 2016, that occurred in Krugersdorp, dubbed Devilsdorp, all under the guise of her satanic cult, Electus Perdaeus, which translated means chosen by God. And so I'm going to give you some background, just in case you don't know about the, the story and about the case. Um, I really do appreciate the time that Ben Boyson gave to me. It took weeks to actually set up that interview. He's, although he's retired from the police force now, he's still incredibly busy. His phone rings all the time. He is much in demand. And yeah, it took a long time to set up that interview. So I really do appreciate the time that he gave me. And um, I'm going to give some background on this case, on who Cecilia Stain is, who the other people were who were also convicted with her, the core group of her her cult. But first, let's look at what actually is a cult. Um, And a cult, by definition, is a group or a movement that is held together by a shared commitment to to mainly a charismatic leader. That charismatic leader is key. Uh, They they are committed to that, that leader and to an ideology. And their belief system holds all the answers to life's questions. It offers them special solutions that they will gain only by following this leader's rule. And Cecilia Stein was that charismatic leader. And her cult, Electus Perdaeus, supposedly a satanic cult. And you'll hear Ben Boyson say he doesn't believe it was a satanic cult. And in Devil's Dorp itself, um, one of the police officers who actually runs, there was a satanic division who who dealt with occult crime, also did not believe, I don't think that this was particularly related to Satanism, but she did have these people in her absolute thrall, and you'll hear now how she managed to convince these people to just do her bidding, regardless of who they were and what they were. And just after the break, I will be telling you who these people were.
0: This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz.
1: I was telling you a bit about the Devil's Door documentary that was screened. Well, it's available to watch now, but it was first screened last August. And people were really gripped by this Devil's Dorp fever. I think everyone was talking about it. It was all over social media. And it was the subject of much discussion um, in mainstream media as well. So who play? Who were the main role players in the Devil's Dorp saga? As I said, the murders were committed between the years of 2012 and 2016. And... They were committed in the name of Cecilia Stane and her cult, electus per Deus. And how did this all start? So Cecilia Stein met someone by the name of Ria Grunewald in 2007. And she told Ria, they were both Christians, and she told Ria that she was in fact an intergenerational satanic witch. And Ria had a group, a Christian group called Overcomers Through Christ, and she believed that she her main job would be to protect cecilia and that is what she did she committed herself to protecting cecilia at all costs and cecilia would would claim to be attacked by satan there were harnats which are um satanistic occasions harnats when Rhea and her her group would go and they would their job would be to to pin Cecilia down so that she couldn't be attacked by this devil. And that was her job. They they formed a very, very tight, close-knit friendship. And her job, her main job, was to just always be around whenever Cecilia needed her. She was at her beck and call, and Rhea's job was to protect her. Eventually, though, she came to realize that something was not so kosher with this picture. And she began to distance herself from Cecilia. And Cecilia didn't like that one little bit. But there were people from Rhea's group, um, overcomers through Christ, who had decided that they were quite attracted to Cecilia's ethos, her methods, her ideas. And they remained with Cecilia. Who were these people? Zach Valentine, who was a very clever guy. He had graduated cum laude from um, Northwest University with a finance degree. His wife, Michaela, was a travel agent. She was a student pastor. She was a devout Christian. And Marinda Stain, who was a respected and loved English teacher at the, uh, the Hur School Klerk, And she brought her two children along, her children, LaRue and Marcel. And they remained with Cecilia. Now, I have to tell you at this point that Cecilia, as I said, the charismatic leader who is key in a cult, she was someone who had not passed grade 9 at school. That, that was where she got up to. She left school at grade 9. But she managed to influence these educated, clever people into following her and doing her bidding. And they formed the core group of this cult but after Ria's rejection, Cecilia was extremely angry, and she claims that that was what triggered her initial killing spree. First off, she killed someone by the name of Natasha Berger, who was Ria's close friend and an integral group member of Overcomers Through Christ. And she murdered Natasha's neighbour, Joy Bunzaya, who was described quite blithely as just collateral damage. The next one was a pastor by the name of Reg Ben Dixon because Cecilia felt that he was the reason that Rhea had rejected her. And I have to say these murders, and they are described in Devil's Dorp and they're described in Ben Boysen's book, and that's the book that we're going to be discussing later with him, It's called On the Devil's Trail, How I Hunted Down the Kruger's Dorb Killers. These murders were savage. They were gruesome and savage, and they were absolutely brutal. And the last person who was murdered back then in 2012 was Michaela, Zach's wife, who had left the group to join Cecilia and her group. But after seeing these murders happen and these murders take place... She started to want to distance herself from Electus Perdaeus and from Cecilia, and she could not convince her husband, Zach, to do that. And he was so taken in by Cecilia that he agreed to assist in the murder of his own wife, which he did. And up until, up until then, Rhea had in fact been a suspect in all these murders. But when Michaela was murdered, Rhea was out of town. Police failed to catch the murderers. They had Electus per Deus on their radar and there was even strong evidence against them. And nothing was done. They were in court. They didn't do anything about it. And these murders remained unsolved. Moving on to 2015, the group needed a cash injection. And up until then... Zach had been financing the group. He, they, they'd all all their money was going to Cecilia and her group. She spun such stories about why she needed the money, where the money was going, all a bunch of lies. And Zach was drawing on, on all his, his saved-up capital, all his finance. Marinda's salary went to – everything went to, to Cecilia. They did not save any of their own money for themselves. By 2015, there was no money coming into Electus Padaeus, and this is when a guy by the name of John Barnard comes into the picture. And this is a guy who actually bought drugs from Cecilia. He lived with Marinda at the time, and he worked at a printing shop, and he suggested that they should rob the owners, who were called Peter and Joan Mayer, and they were extremely wealthy, and he suggested it would be a good idea to rob them, and As you can hear, this group had absolutely no qualms about robbing, murdering people left, right and centre, no conscience whatsoever. This was done in the name of Cecilia and in the name of Electus Perdaeus. And what you're going to hear from here on is actually in the name of greed, in the name of Whatever they believed in or whatever they believed that Cecilia believed in, it's actually quite horrendous. It's really horrific. And um, what you're going to hear is it's not for sensitive ears. And, yeah, that's just a pre-warning. And we'll get back to that shortly. I love it when you
0: read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz.
1: So I am giving you a quick background of the story of Devilsdorp and the killing spree that Cecilia Steyn and her group Electus Perdias went on, just to give you a bit of background before you hear the interview that I did with Captain Ben Boyson, who was key in cracking this case and who was the one who actually discovered exactly what what happened here and was key in getting this group convicted. So. In 2015, as I said, the group needed a cash injection. Enter John Barnard, um, who was basically a drug addict. He suggested that they rob his bosses. And off, Marinda and Zach and Marcel went to the boss's house, um, Joan and Peter Mayer. And they assumed there was going to be a lot of money in this house. They finagled their way into the house. There was a whole story about who they were. And needless to say, not a lot of money found in the house. And Zach lost his temper and went on an absolute stabbing spree. He stabbed them both to death, this couple, and they left them lying in the house. And at that point, Zach realized that he needed to fake his own death because they had left evidence there. They, he hadn't changed his number plates, they realized that he was the car, his was the car that was in the, the parking lot and through a whole convoluted method, he faked his own death with the help of the rest of this group and they wanted to claim his life insurance money, which was 3.57 million rand. That didn't happen. They needed money, and they went on another killing spree, which landed up in 2016. These became known as the appointment murders. You'll hear more about that in the interview with Ben Boyson, And it's absolutely ridiculous how they went on this conscience-free. They, they had no conscience in killing these people. They made appointments with people. Murdered them purely to get their bank cards and to get their money. And then you will hear how Captain Ben Boyson comes into the story and through meticulous hard work, which he received no thanks for, I'm telling you, if you look up the word humble in a dictionary, this man's picture is there, he solved this case. So from here on out, that's what you'll be hearing. My interview with Captain Ben Bluxom Boyson. It is an absolute honour and privilege. I know you say you're an ordinary person, but it is an honour and a privilege to be chatting to Ben Blixum oyson Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. You came into this whole... I mean, I've just given a whole intro to what the case was about, the Kruger's Dorp killers, the Devil's Dorp case, whatever people want to call it, the cult killings. I mean, people have got all different names there's so much background but specifically i'm going to be chatting to you about your book which you wrote well you wrote it with nikki gulesh gulesh is that correct um yeah and it's called on the devil's trail how i hunted down the kruger's killers but then it's not just about this kruger's case this is a very personal book it's a very personal story because there's a lot of you in it and a lot about a lot of your background what was that like for you
0: yeah, you know, first, me and uh, I assisted Jana Marks with writing the Proofs of Cold Killings. Um yes. Story about the, the killings itself. And I never wanted to put anything of me inside the book because it was not about me. So after people um, read the book and they saw that devil's was Mel from uh, Mel and um, they are printing their own books, what you call them. Uh, but anyway, yes. she phoned me and said that. Oh, Melinda, yes,
1: Melinda um, Ferguson,
0: yes. Ferguson, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Melinda Ferguson. She, she told me, We need to tell your story. And I said, But I, I don't have a story. And uh, yes, and she was imminent that she, she wants to write my life story. And yeah, and eventually my wife said, Just go for it. And um, I I went for it. And I think she chose the best person to speak to me because, you know, my English is. It's not very good. I'm a, I'm a bookie. So, you know, um, sometimes I forget English words and, and and how to pronounce it. So, and um, yeah, Nikki was the best person um, to write the book for me. So it was, you know, when you tell your, your life story, it doesn't hit you uh, because you talk about it a lot with, with certain people, but eventually when, when it's in a book form and you read it, yeah, then it's difficult. Then, yeah, then yeah, it all comes, comes back. Someone you and says, "Yeah," and, and, and say, "Yeah, no, this is difficult."
1: And I know that Nikki said I was at your book launch. Um, actually, incidentally, at in Rosebank, when you first launched the book, yeah. And I know that Nikki said that working with you was such a pleasure. She said because your your record keeping is so so meticulous. She was astounded. By that, yeah. having worked with—I mean, she's an investigative journalist. So, but having worked with with others in the past, and and having um, worked with other cops on diff- different um, articles that she'd written, she said that your record keeping was just something like something she'd never seen before. So that was incredible. But I wanted to ask something else. Normally, when it, when a book gets ghost written, ghost writer is never identified. They're very much in the background. It's an anonymous pen that writes the book. But you've been yeah. very open, and, and Melinda and everyone is very open about the fact that that Nikki wrote this book together with you. And yeah. um, that's very interesting because, I mean, it could have been kept in the background, as, as so often happens. Why was it done this
0: way? She needs the, the recognition. Absolutely. Um, my story, um, she came to my house every Monday and sit with me and speak with me, and, yeah, and I would have never allowed uh, Melinda to say, no, um, we're not going to You know who's writing the book. I wanted the people to know who wrote the book.
1: Right. And, and then she came and she sat with you and she spoke to you and then you reversed your car down the driveway.
0: Yeah, I stay in the mountains. So it's very <laughs> difficult uh, for people to reverse out of my, my premises. It's very steep.
1: Yeah, she, she mentioned that, and you mentioned it, it's mentioned in the book as well, I found that, that was a lovely little uh, anecdote yeah. there. So you live in Krugersdorp, you've lived there all the time, like, since you were younger, and Krugersdorp is your home.
0: Yeah, I, I don't live inside Krugersdorp, I live on the border of Krugersdorp and Rudderpoort in the mountains, in the Ruudekrans. Right. but you know, I was a cop for a long time in, in, in Krugersdorp, um, so... Yeah, Google's all boss my my hometown working, my home working town.
1: Yeah. So
0: Boston.
1: so you entered into this actual story, into this case on the second of June 19, right, 2016. So that's when you came into the case. And there was a lot of were you keeping an eye on things? Did you know what was going on beforehand? Because I mean you came into the case a week after this group, who we're going to talk about in a bit, had committed their last murder.
0: Yeah I read the paper so I knew about the killings going on in Krugersdorp and um I, at that time I, I I worked at the Hawks and I worked anti corruption unit so it was not in my duty jurisdiction, to, to jurisdiction, investigate yeah yeah, yeah. No, Krugersdorp is in my jurisdiction but yeah. it, it, it's it was not the kind of job that I I was currently doing yeah so then somebody posted on on Facebook yeah Yes, uh, they wish they they give this to a cop that can solve the case, and I went on Facebook and said, "Yeah, I will take it, but you know, uh, but you must not wish for stuff <laughs> because sometimes it happens." Yeah, you didn't. Uh, yeah, I uh, didn't really mean that. Hey? <laughs> yeah, and then uh, um, you know the the commander of the, the task team that was currently working then, Brigitte Victor, he went to an to an ex employee that is friends with. And he said, yes, don't you know a cop that can take over this case and bring everything together? And then this guy said, yeah, there's only one person. That's Ben Bluxem. So he said, Ben Bluxem. I said, oh, we call him Ben Bluxem, but his surname is actually Boysen. So, yeah, and then he phoned me one night and he said, "Um, do I want to to be in charge of the task team? And I said, no, um, I will do the investigations, but i work alone. I don't work with... Because when you work in a task team, a lot of when you investigate, something, there's a golden thread in the investigation and you must follow that golden thread. As soon as there are too many people doing the investigation, you lose the golden thread and then it becomes a problem. So I I was, you know, I became a detective in 1984 and since I was a detective, if you get the case, you do it alone. Um, And that's how I I, I learned to do it and that's how I worked. Yeah.
1: Went into the case and... You were, at the time, you first were concerned about these appointment murders. These three people who'd been murdered, they were financial advisors and one was, I think, an estate agent who had been murdered when they had met so-called clients after hours um mm. either, you know. And that was what you went in to investigate. That's how you started with this investigation.
0: Not how really. You- um I started, um, with, um, the docket of Peter Stein where Zach, yes. um, that person, but I didn't know that, doc, that Zach did it and I didn't know who that person was and Zach was arrested. So I opened the fraud case against him. Um, so I started with the fraud and the murder of Peter Stein and the Meyer, uh, um, family that was killed because I only got the afspraak murder so-called Oswald murder about two and a half months after I was already investigating the case. So everything I did, everything I did investigate, I did it without the original dockets and without the original statements that was already in the docket. So yeah, when I eventually got the dockets, I just, you know, add my stuff inside there and just went forward. Because I'm, I'm that kind of person. If there's something in my way to do investigations, I found another way to do it, and then I just go on with it. You know, I don't wait for for politics and, you know, people to give instructions and wait for that, because at the end of the day, if I've waited for that docket, a lot of evidence that I got after I arrested Cecilia and Marinda, I would have never got, because they would have let it disappear.
1: So, Zach Valentine was your first introduction into this, and then you convoluted Methods you came across Cecilia Stein and her electus per deus group. Tell me about that.
0: Um, Because remember, um, if Zach died, there was a lot of money that's going to Cecilia Stein.
1: Yes, that was, the, the, whole that was, was the insurance that. fraud case. Yes.
0: Yeah. And the yeah. person who assisted her there is Marinda Stein. And Marinda Stein went with Cecilia's brother in law to Pietra Stein to yes. identify a burned out body as her brother. That's a lie. And she gave a false address. Yes. So I eventually arrested everybody on the uh, fraud case, on the Discovery fraud case. And from there, I went deeper into the cases. But if I if I wouldn't have arrested him at that stage you know, the bullets in Marindor Claston would have disappeared. The guns that was hidden in a flat would have disappeared. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was good that I immediately tried to get them out of the society so I can protect evidence um, that I didn't know existed at that stage. But, you know, being a cop for a long time, there's always evidence. And if you leave a criminal too long in the street, that evidence disappears.
1: Yes, they have time to cover their tracks. Tell me about Cecilia Stay. She's the, the key to all of this. It's, um, I mean, I don't know whether, would electus per be defined as a cult? Were they just a group? I mean, she was a cult, needs that, that leader. And she was a leader who they all followed so blindly. I mean, this was a woman who, I think she had a grade nine. She, she left school yeah. after grade nine, yeah. but managed yeah. to convince these intelligent, educated, professional people To follow her and to do everything she wanted them to do, regardless of the reason, no rhyme or reason. I mean, she just, you know, killed that person and off they went and did it. Was she that charismatic figure? I mean, you, you saw straight through her.
0: There's a saying you can bullshit some of the people some of the time, but not all of the people all of the time. Yeah. You understand? So yes. and I investigate a lot of cases. And since the day that I met her, she didn't appear as a very clever person. She looks like the devil's wife. That she actually admit that he married her. And she even got a marriage certificate with, yes. with the devil. So yeah, but you know what? That is my cult leaders. Any cult leaders like in America and everywhere. You know, they get a lot of people inside the cult and eventually they convince them to commit suicide, mass suicide and stuff like that. And that's what she also did. She brought these people in, letting them know or understand that she's, she's a, a recovered Satanist and they must protect her, that the devil wants to rape her on every Satanistic
1: happening. On the high, yeah, the high, night,
0: yeah. and, the high and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, they were all Christian people coming in to protect her. And eventually she used the Christianity. This is not a satanistic cult. This is a Christianity cult. Yes. She she took stuff out of the Bible and said, listen, God said this, give this instruction to this person to go and kill those people. So, and God wants me to give you the instruction. You must go and and sort these people out because these people made a prayer, Um, more than 70 children was killed in America in some orphanage somewhere and we need to take revenge. And they fell for it, yeah. But, you know, in my police career, you know, normal people from a not-so-upbringing background staying in, in bad areas. Yes. Um, like more common people. Very intelligent people that comes from very intelligent backgrounds and stuff. It's like they're more gullible to fall for this for this charade yeah. you understand but yes if you go and take a, a person from a, a rural area and that they don't have money and stuff and just a normal person you will laugh in your face and tell you to yeah you know what you need yeah. to go do with yourself but yeah i um, think that yeah, those, yeah that those
1: are the people with the who have got the street smarts and like yeah. you say these yeah. clever people they don't have that ability to to see through it yeah. like those those other people do you're quite right and it's, yeah. it's actually fascinating how this played out, and all the people who she managed to to pull into her into her circle. And it's actually incredible. Tell me, you actually had left the police force numerous times and come back. You left, you came back. You left, you came back.
0: If you read my book, you will see that my upbringing was very difficult. Yes. And I never stayed very long in a place because of my father. And, you know, I was in 14 schools and sometimes in three schools in one year. So my father taught me one thing. If you don't like it, move on. It's not that I never liked the police. The police is my career. I love the police. Yes. I didn't like the people in the police. So when I've got a problem i tried to solve it myself and stupidity makes me resign and go and apply where i wanted to to go and work i didn't want to go the difficult way to put in for transfers and be rejected and yeah you know i i'll smack somebody and go to (laughs) your office and resign and go to another station and, and reapply to get back. And yeah, I, I probably was maybe a very good cop. They took me back five times. I think I'm the only cop in South Africa that went five times back to the police force and they accept me. But also... I, it, yeah, it, I think you're described as a top cop, actually. Yeah, you know, there's, it's not something like a top cop. Um, that doesn't exist. There's it, not something like a super cop that doesn't exist. The only thing that exists is a policeman that do his work to the best of his ability, and walk the extra mile um, to to get justice. But, you know, I only got standard eight in school. I I never finished school. That's form 10. eh? But I want justice to be served. So I teach myself. I read a lot of books. And I'm always open-minded. If I get information, I don't reject any information. However, it sounds so stupid, like you can't believe. I will never reject it. I will take it and I will investigate around it and see that I can get all the evidence that I needed to present to a court to get somebody guilty.
1: But yeah. it's the hard work and it's the determination and it's that belief in justice being your bottom line, which was definitely yeah. the case here. I mean, this was three years of investigation.
0: Yeah, it was three very hard years Yeah, yeah. Only when I had to to add the 2012 murders Um, Yeah, then it became very, very difficult because that docket was missing and uh, I needed to trace people who was involved. And, you know, I first go to first person, speak to him, take a statement. And then I said, who did you know who knew about it? And uh, like that, I went further and further and further till I got everybody. And the other problem was the witnesses didn't want to speak to me because the police at that stage um, in 2012 did nothing. So it was very difficult for me to convince the people that, you know, I'm a cop that's going to do my work, I'm not going to drop, drop them.
1: You are listening to People of the Book. I'm Janice Liebewitz. and today I'm chatting to Ben Luxemboysen. We are talking about his book, On the Devil's Trail, How I Hunted Down the Krugersdorp Killers. And it, I mean, it's, you know, if you watch Devil's Dorp, I mean, that was something in itself. But I really, really do urge you to buy this book because it gives some incredible background information and detail that wasn't able to be included in the actual documentary, as well as some very, very heart-wrenching, interesting background information on Ben's life as well, which really adds to to the, the book and the depth and the gravitas that the book actually has. And Ben, you eventually did retire. Am I wrong in saying this case? There's still elements of this case that are ongoing.
0: Yeah, I opened a case against policemen that was involved in the 2012 investigations that I think that they didn't do their work. And as well as Cecilia's husband, um, you can't be married to a woman. You stay in a very small flat. She buys you TVs and video games and motorbikes and she doesn't work. And you don't ask her where's the money coming from. And, you know, it came out in court. The people used drugs after the killings. Uh, he came home and he saw them drug and he's a cop and he did nothing. So yeah. I opened a case against him and also uh, against Cecilia's brother-in-law, who was also involved in, in identifying um, Jared Jackson as Zach like Valentine. So, yeah, um, but I I cannot investigate that. Um, right. I'm the complainant, and that's difficult <laughs> for me because it seems to me that nothing is happening. And, I, was going, um, yeah, uh, I was
1: going to ask, is that stalled? Is is anything going to come of it?
0: I don't know. I know the the docket. The first docket I opened disappeared. Um, somebody tucked it away. And then uh, the general who was in charge of the detectives in Gauteng phoned me again and he said, Please, Captain, don't you want to open another case and I open another docket went to look for for evidence again. And uh, and currently it's with the National Prosecuting Authority and uh, they must decide are they going to charge these people or whatever. Or we'll just but let, it's let out it out of my hands. Sure. Yeah.
1: That must be so difficult for you.
0: Yeah. Um, you know what? Um I didn't I don't know what happened in 2012. You know, I, I cannot say that the punishment did it on purpose. Um not to investigate the case, but there was a lot of rumours that came out that Colonel had an affair with Cecilia Stein, and she gave him some of the murder weapons and the tape that was made by by a witness that nothing was wrong with, where they said that they were part of the first murders, that tape disappeared and it's unaudible suddenly. So, yeah, I I cannot say, you know... um, and the one cop is actually a good cop captain from wake is actually a very very good cop and but at the end of the day the case was also taken away from him i don't know how far he was with it and because i the docket is missing so i don't know on which stage he was close to to charging them or or, you know breaking the case or what but i know him for a long time he's actually a good cop but yeah um, the colonel and other people um yeah I think they must be charged for sure for seriously after the fact and then defeating the ends of justice. Yeah.
1: So after your three-year investigation, you eventually retired from the police force. Actually, on your 60th birthday, on the yeah. 28th of February last year, you haven't gone back yet.
0: No, um, <laughs> they, don't they don't <laughs> they want me. They don't you want you back. No. They, when you're 60, they chased you away. You know. The, my last day. You know, being that long time in the police, my last day, I went to, to head office, I, I gave in my, my state vehicle, and my wife picked me up in my private vehicle, and I went to court, and after court, I went home, and that was my last day in the police service. No handshaking, no, you know, you did a good job, and uh, thank you for being a cop, and thank you for for probably, you know, that's bad to say, but fucking your whole life up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mentally and and stuff like that going out of your way and protecting um, the people of the country you know just yeah you you finish so what and that's just just a number
1: yeah you just have to walk away and but specifically for this case i mean between these six suspects 39 life sentences were handed down between the six of them and over 2000 years of imprisonment between yeah. the six of them, you received no acknowledgement for that, for all your work put into it. No golden handshake. No, I mean, you know, you weren't promoted. Nothing. And I know that that your wife stepped in at that point. She wrote to, she wrote to, I think it was the, the, the head of the Hawks. Yeah. um, Received no response. Becky Chele. I mean, whatever one feels about him or thinks about him, he watched Devil's Door, and he himself sent a request to the Ka police commissioner, you know, appealing to him to acknowledge you in some way. And even he yeah. received no response from it. I mean yeah. it, that, that must be just devastating. I'm I'm devastated.
0: <laughs> and I'm sure I'm not the only you one. Are, you know what? Um it's one of those things, you know, um some people will go and arrest one um rapist. Uh, he didn't even arrest a rapist, somebody else arrested a rapist. They just carried the docker through court and the guy get a 15-year sentence and then he get a car and he get promoted from the rank from warrant officer to a captain or a lieutenant colonel. So, yeah, there's my two kinds of, of laws in this country, you know. Um, c- certain people, they looked after and they promote them even if they cannot do the job. Even this colonel who had the, the cases before me, that only the only thing that he did is duplicate statements in the cases because he didn't really went further because the the first time I went in the into the house I saw that there was stains on the carpet and he was supposed to be there because he is the investigating officer yeah. of the docket and the children was arrested with, with the banking cards so um, yeah now we've got a case now we're going to, to charge the children but the, the children's excuse was that to, uh, Marcel that she got the, the cards or my brother got the cards from the Nigerians and gave them the numbers. They didn't kill anybody. Yeah. They didn't know anything about it. And eventually, Le Roustain goes and he made a confession that he killed the people by himself and loaded into the vehicles and go and dump them. But he's so skinny, you know, if a young child is sleeping and you try to pick up a young child it's nearly impossible. It's, it's dead weight. Now you will tell me that it's 60... A kilogram guy can pick up a 120 kilogram guy, rolled him in, 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 in black paper and pick him up and put him in the back of a car. And also, you know, there was two other people that was arrested. And one of the the people went and uh, he killed the people and he made a confession. But when I went to speak to him in, in jail and I, I asked him, explain to me how Alfred looks like when you killed him. He couldn't explain to me how Southfield looks. He couldn't explain to me how Latugan looks. But he admits that he's a killer. And he went and showed the people where they were killed. There is no blood. There is no nothing. And at the end of the day, this captain was promoted to a lieutenant colonel. By mentioning my case in his application, and he went to Cape Town and he was promoted in Cape Town to a full colonel and his You know, yeah, that that stuff. Like, yeah, you know what? Um, that's more one of those things. You know, the the recognition that I got from the public and especially from the families. You know, standing up in court and giving me a, a hand clap, thanking me for the good work. That's actually much more valuable than than money.
1: You still have a relationship with those families
0: don't you? You still have... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see them a lot. I visit them a lot. And when I, I investigated the case, um, once a month, I met them at the diner in, in Torp, and we had a meeting, a sit down. And um, I'll, like, I will explain to them where I am in the investigation, what is my purpose further. And I, I, the only thing I've, I told them the first time is, what I'm telling you, I will see anywhere on Facebook or Twitter... Or anywhere, then I yeah. will stop. Yes. Because there's a confidential between me and and the families. Yeah, absolutely. So n- none of them broke their word, and um, yeah. And at the end of the day, what I saw in their eyes, sending all these people to to jail. But also, I had the best two advocates as prosecutors. Right. And I think I had also the best judge. And you know, Electus Padaeus is standing for um, chosen by God yes and i actually think the real chosen by god people is me the two advocates yes. and, and the judge
1: absolutely i think you're a hundred percent right what is next for you what are you up to now
0: it seems to me that like i'm going to be on tv there's a, a program that they want me to present um, oh my
1: gosh that yeah. So,
0: yeah, exciting. Yeah, that's it's very difficult for me because I'm not that people walking up on the street to me and shaking my hands and write my book uh, sign my book and I want to take a photo with you. You know, that is that's very, very difficult for me. I'm humble about it, but you're yeah, that's you um, really are. You really, really <laughs> are. And
1: you're you're a media <laughs> personality now, aren't you? Really? <laughs>
0: yeah and that's yeah that is um that's more one of the things that came with this case um i never wanted to be a detective that was um well known or a paper detective you know um because the big thing is i think you compromise yourself a uh, paper detective because at the end of the day you solve one or two of, or three of good good cases difficult cases and then eventually you get that case that you cannot solve and then the families, they're going to look you in the eyes and say, But you're a super cop. You're the best, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't want that pressure. I never wanted that praise. I did a few cases in the old days. It was also in the papers and on the news, but I always asked the journalist, please don't mention my name, don't take a photo of me. Sure. Because I never wanted to be known as a super cop. Well, you know, this, quite the, the, the happened, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, it, it is for me, um, how can I say, it's um, a big honor for me at the end of my career to be to get the recognition from the outside people. You know, yes. there's, a, there's, a, there's books written about this case. There's a um, uh, um, series that was made about this case. I think eventually somebody is going to make a movie about this case. Probably. and um, And, you know, people ask me to, to write my life story and what more can I ask for? <laughs> so I, I you know, think there's a lot of good cops that do good work, but because they didn't get this... Recognition. Yeah, exposure. That exposure, yes. Yeah, we, they don't don't we don't know about yeah, it. We don't know about it. Yeah, you don't know about it. But um, yeah, um, but they're. There. I think it's more one of God's ways, also to give me a little star, you <laughs> know. You know, when you in, in, in grade one or grade two, when you're good, you're good I put a little stone yeah. in, in your forehead. So that, I think that's my God way, way is to, to say you did good work. You did, and good, I'm you, going
1: to, you did incredible yeah. work. You did incredible work. Ben Boyson, it has been an absolute pleasure and really a, a privilege to spend time chatting to you. Thank you so, so much.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: And I think that we just really owe you a debt of gratitude for the work that you did. It was incredible and incredibly fruitful. And I wish you the best of luck um, for whatever comes next. It sounds very exciting.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens yeah it's a new career
1: <laughs> a new career a new, a whole new path opened up to you yeah. and to you listening and I hope you stay warm I hope you dodge your load shedding schedule as accurately as efficiently as you can uh, just stay warm and take care of yourself take care of each other and read a book